Open your Bibles up to John chapter 15 tonight. I want to talk about just removing impotency off of our life. How many know that's not the will of God for us to be impotent? Unable to produce. The will of God for us is to be producers. In John chapter 15, Jesus speaking about being the vine and the branch. And we'll just read down through here, beginning in verse 1. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear what? More fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. How many have ever been through that pruning process with the Lord? Amen. I've been through several because I'm a slow learner. Amen. I was out of out of out of my brother and I. I was the one I got in twice as much trouble as my brother because I'm a slow learner. Amen. Verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him. Look at this. Bears what? Much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. How many know that's not good? So verse 7. If you abide in me, watch this. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will what? Ask what you desire and what? It shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you what? Bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. And the Father has loved me. I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. That you, and that your joy may be full. Praise the Lord. And then Sunday we preached on this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And verse 16, And you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear, what? Fruit. And that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we sang in worship, we're saying, Word of God, speak into our lives. Bring your truth, bring your peace, bring your rest and your understanding to our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Look at the cover of your outline. And the will of God is that we be fruit bearers. Amen. Now, let me just ask you, how many of Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches? And he's using the illustration of a grapevine. But how many know he's not expecting us to sprout grapes? Okay. So the fruit he's talking about is an illustration. It's not a, the, that literal fruit, but there's something about us that is to be buried. Now, let me ask you, what is the fruit of the kingdom? Souls. Just souls. The only fruit of the kingdom of God is souls. The only increase God is looking for is the increase of souls being added to the kingdom. An increase. And so the fruit that God has appointed to our lives, called us and appointed us to bear, is that each and every one of us would have an increase of souls coming into the kingdom through our life. That's God's will for every person. Amen. And then if we're bearing fruit, he says, if we're bearing fruit, then he comes along and prunes us so we would win even more souls into the kingdom. Amen. And so that's his heart. That's his will for each and every one of our lives. That's what he says. I've called you and I appoint you. And then not only that, not just getting people to pray a prayer, but getting them rooted and grounded that our fruit would remain, that those would become just firmly planted and fixed in the kingdom of God. So look at your outline. The womb of life is the church. In our world, when it comes to life, life is life in God. 
Amen. I mean, you know, the Bible says you and I were saved in our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And so we're born again. We come to life in Christ. And the church is the womb of life in God in the earth. The church was never meant to be impotent or powerless to produce. We are more than equipped to reach them, raise them, and release them. How many would agree? We're equipped for evangelism. We're equipped to do discipleship. And we're equipped to go out and walk in ministry. See, God's people were always meant to bring forth His life and purpose in the earth for His glory. Go with me to Luke, if you would, chapter uh, 8. I usually read this out of Mark chapter 4, but Luke is good. And uh, beginning in verse 4. And a great multitude had gathered, and others had come to him from every city. He spoke, a par- spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Matt did a great job last week preaching on plowing. Amen. And breaking up the wayside ground. Not just be content to have that wayside ground and say our culture, well, it's just hard ground, it won't. But to be purposeful in plowing so that we could sow the seed and they could receive it. And they could receive the harvest of God's life. And it was trampled down, the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in Mark chapter 4, in the account of it, Jesus, when he's explaining it to his disciples, he said, If you don't understand this parable, then how will you understand all the other parables? This is such a significant truth for us to learn. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable to mean? And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it has been given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Verse 11. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. And let me ask you this. How were you born again? How does a person become born again? Huh? How? Richard, what? By the word. By the word what? planted Peter said you were born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God you receive God's word that seed <coughs> just like man carries the seed of life that seed is sown into the womb of our spirit it takes root and it generates the life of God in us okay the word of God produces that life that seed sown in our heart just what he's talking about <coughs> the seed is the word of God Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes the word out of where? Their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who hear, who when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Verse 14, and the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Let me just say again, the fruit of the kingdom, and in Mark it says that they bring forth some 30, some 60, and 100 fold. Of what? After the same seed that was sowed. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. So the harvest that's being talked about here is the increase of souls in our life. And God multiplies our seed. Many times people use this for fi- uh, financial multiplication, but it isn't talking about finances here. It's talking about people being born again. Amen? The whole parable is about seed falling on men's heart, them being saved, and then in salvation coming into people's lives. But the good ground is what Jesus said are those that, that, like in the vine and the branches, that are bearing kingdom fruit, kingdom harvest. That's what God ordained for our life. We'd be a people of kingdom harvest. Amen? 
And so to our lives, there should be a 30, 60, or 100-fold increase of souls connected to our life. We're not an impotent people, but an empowered people. Amen. And when we understand that, it changes everything. We're empowered to produce by the Holy Spirit. Think about Acts 1.8. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive what? Power, not timidity, but power. Luke 24, 49, go wait until you are endued with power from on high. So we are to preach the gospel with conforming, excuse me, confirming signs, performing acts of indisputable authority. That's God's purpose for each and every one of our lives, that we would share the gospel and believe that those confirming signs would flow through our lives with indisputable authority. Amen? And the early church, the book of Acts, they were just out in the streets doing ministry through every opportunity they found. So look inside your outline. What is the power behind our purpose? The power is the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was having lunch with our superintendent, Brett Allen, today, and he pastored in San Jose for years at Bethel Assembly there. And uh, he said they would meet once a month in the mayor's office there. And there were 12 districts in the city of San Jose, and they had city councilmen there, and different pastors were there and would gather and pray with him. We had a meeting, and it was going longer than he could stay, so he's getting ready to leave. He said he was walking out of the building, and uh, he was going past all these cubicles, and each cubicle was a cubicle for the, the council members there. And as he kind of got to the end of all the cubicles, one of the pastors came out of the, the room with the mayor there and said, Pastor Allen, he says, uh, uh, do, do you pray in other tongues? And he's yelling across all these cubicles and all these city councilmen. He goes, well, <laughs> are you asking because you want to know or because you don't believe? <laughs> and he says, I want to know. And so they're like having this conversation. <laughs> he says, okay, come with me. <laughs> So they go together, and uh, they, they, he goes, and he goes, he goes. No, I want to know right now. So they get together right there in the room. He goes, I, I want to know right now. Tell me right now. I said, Well, let's go back to my office, and then we will. Uh, just a little more discreet, a better setting for that. So they get in the car, they go get to the church, and before they get out of the car, he goes, No, I don't. I want to know right now. I want it right now. And so anyway, he led him to the baptism of the Holy Spirit right there in his car. And the reason he said, he said, I've been watching all you preachers who pray in tongues. And the favor of God is upon you. He says, all the pastors that I know that pray in tongues, the favor of God is upon them. He says, I've been doing all this. I, I'm working. I'm trying to build. And I'm doing it in my own strength. I'm getting burnt out. So he said, the favor of God's upon you. I need the Holy Ghost. So just after the... After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power. And so to be able to pray in the Spirit and to be fruitful and to be bountiful and to have the favor of God upon you is God's will for every one of our lives. Amen. And when we believe it and we walk in it, people see that upon our lives as well. Praise the Lord. So we're empowered as believers to be men and women of God and doers of the word. We're empowered to do the word. I just read the word, talk about the word, believe the word. We actually get to do the word. Amen. And uh, so power flows through knowing who you are in Christ. And once I'm convinced, everybody say convinced. See, my job as your pastor, I'm just trying to get you convinced. If I ever get you convinced, there'll be no stopping you. The only thing that stops us now, we're not convinced. If I was convinced in the truth of God's word, I'd be out there wanting to do it. Think about it. Convinced that God's word is true concerning me, I'll begin to break through the walls and obstructions that Satan sets before me. Think about that. When you start to get out there, every time you start to step out for God, what happens immediately? The devil comes with his think bombs. My pastor used to call him, that's what he said. I'm, I'm going retro, brotherhood. He, he said, the devil comes with his think bombs, and he bombs our mind, bombards our thought, and, and throws those in there and discourages us and, you know, flies over and bombs us. And so you have to fight through those and bring to You can't do that. Who do you think you are? You have this in your life. You have that in your life. Oh, who cares? Shut up. You're a liar anyway. Amen. I'm born again. I'm filled with the Spirit. I can do exactly what God said I can do. See, the Holy Spirit gives us obstacle-breaking power. And by His power, we're able to overcome insecurities, limitations, fears, and doubts. Amen. 
I just, there, when I got saved, I just believed God that he wanted to use me. I didn't set any parameters. I said, God, I'll just do whatever you want me to do. We'll just go. I'll never forget one time, and, and we used to do more street witnessing than we do, but at Brotherhood, we did these things called, <coughs> we, we called them encounters and invasions, and, and we would go help churches that were starting out, little home mission churches, new church plant, and so we'd go. So one day, we went down to Pacifica, while we, we were still in Bible school, we went to Pacifica, and went down there to do some street witnessing and night meetings. We'd go down for Friday afternoon, and we'd go out on the streets, and we'd have a meeting at the church. And, and then we'd go out on Saturdays and do it again, have a night meeting. And then we'd pack up and go home to be home on Sunday. So we're at Pacifica, and uh, we're going out to go street witnessing. And Sue and myself and Pastor Al Moody and his wife Debbie, the four of us are in a car. And uh, Pastor Al is now taking over from Brotherhood there at New Life. And so we get out of the car, and these teenagers come walking by. And I said, hey, where are you guys going? Well, no. I said, sit down. They went over and sat down on the wall. <laughs> and I preached to them right there. And they just sat there and listened. And, I, and, and then one of them got, got saved. And he came that night. And I ended up giving my Bible. I love that Bible. But he came that night. But, but just right there. But you have authority. And you have captivating. Because in, in out of life, if you just believe God, that God will use you. Then an authority, a power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you to be his witness. And you can lead somebody to Christ and God will use you in doing that. But sometimes you got to put yourself, you got to put yourself in that arena for that to happen. And getting in that place is way out of your normal comfort zone and routine. If you want to be used by God, you have to break yourself out of your normal routine. Well, I'd lead somebody to the Lord if the Lord would send them to my house while I'm watching my favorite show. I'm ready, Lord, as soon as you send them. Amen. So anyway, see, we're empowered to perform His will and to do His work in the earth in order to produce kingdom harvest. And if we ever get a hunger to see the kingdom of God grow, the Holy Spirit will flow through us in a dynamic that we've never known before. See, the power of perception. Go with me to John chapter 4. The power of perception and perspective makes all the difference. Your perception and your perspective about things has an impact on the power that flows through your life. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well is sitting there, and she has a perception and a perspective about Jews and about relationships. Look at it. Verse 4, But he needed to go through Samaria, and he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, therefore Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and he said to her, Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. Says, what are you doing? Why are we interacting? So her perception and her perspective wasn't into this engagement. She wasn't into having this conversation, this encounter. This isn't normal. This isn't natural. We shouldn't be engaged. But as it goes on and they continue conversation and Jesus starts talking about being the living water and giving her living water and then they start talking about worship, all of a sudden something happens. And then he says, hey, go and call your husband. He lead, we know the whole process that he leads her to. And then all of a sudden she goes, oh, I perceive you are a prophet. And the moment she perceived that he was a prophet, her perspective changed. Are you with me? And so once her perspective and her perception of that situation changed, the next thing she began to talk about was worship. Amen? Instead of being at conflict with him, now she's entering in, into, in engaging in a conversation about worshiping God. Are you with me? 
perception and perspective makes all the difference. Her tone change. Look at verses 19 and 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that on that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus begins to open up and pour himself out to her more. And right after that is when she goes and begins to evangelize, goes to the city, said, Come and see a man who told me everything about me. Could this be the Christ? Amen? But just, to, just with a little paradigm shift of perception and perspective, it changed her tone. And when, perception, and when her perception changed, everything else changed. Now, go with me to Luke chapter 1. Are you doing all right? I always ask that. I don't know why I say that all the time. Are you doing all right? Are you with me? Somebody say amen. I need to preach a whole message on just the little things you say. Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken into hand to set in order a narrative of those things are which most surely believed among us. What a great statement. A narrative of the things that are most surely believed among us. Not questioned, not doubted, but people have taken in hand to write out a narrative. A declaration of the things that we most surely believe. Amen? Think about it. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them. Delivered. The, the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having had what? Perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account. Most excellent Theophilus. So listen. Luke is saying. Having perfect understanding. You and I. It's important that we have right understanding. And the only way to get that. Is to get back to the word of God. Set everything aside. And just go back and filter everything we believe. Back through God's word. Could you say amen. So powerful when we do that. Understanding and the knowledge of truth empowers us to live and fulfill our purpose. Luke says the same thing in Acts chapter 1. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Our main purpose as a believer and followers of Christ is to be his witnesses in the earth. That's a primary function of the Holy Spirit in our life. We are empowered to be a witness. Do you understand that? When we're saved, when we're born again, and then filled with the Spirit, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be a witness. If we're using the Holy Spirit or tapping into everything else about the Holy Spirit, but not the power to be a witness, we're missing the primary purpose of the power. But we're empowered to be a witness. And so think about it. That is our purpose. We are able to do this because... We're not going to be talking <coughs> about ourselves. When he goes to be a witness, we're not talking about ourselves. What are we doing? We're not here to defend or to present ourselves, but Christ alone. How do you do that? Secondly, all we have to do is declare what he has done for us and in us. Amen? Just start telling people. You don't have to quote chapter and verse. You just have to tell people what great things God has done for you. Amen. That's what Jesus told the man from the tombs of Gadara. He says, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. Jesus said, you can't. Go back and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. Can you imagine this guy who had the reputation of being the demonic of Gadara? That ran around naked, broke chains, terrorized everybody. What, what, what was just the, just the nightmare of everybody. And now he comes up, dressed, looking good, clean, acting, talking in his right mind. And he starts out a conversation. Have you ever heard about the guy in the tombs? Did you ever hear about that guy? That, that you, did you ever wondered what happened to him? No way. Yes way. 
What happened? Let me tell you what happened. I was there naked, possessed. And then all of a sudden, this guy gets out of this boat, and the guy was Jesus of Nazareth. And he comes walking up. And the next thing I know, and the, and the things are talking to me. And then the next thing I know, and they go out, and pigs. And the next thing you know, I'm, ta-da. No way. Oh, yes, way. Amen? I mean, oh, that's a great testimony. Amen. I'm sure he said it better than I did, but anyway, you get in the picture. And so when you tell people, let me tell you where I was, where I came from. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Why is that so powerful? See, as witnesses, it is our responsibility to give an account of what we have seen and what we have heard. Go with me to Acts chapter 4. That's all you got to do. Being a witness is so easy. Just tell somebody what great things God has done for you. Sometimes just come up with crazy lines. Hey, Ben. Uh, uh, Dwayne works at Bel Air, and, and we were there uh, a while back, and I was there in the morning, and Dwayne was getting off work, and, and uh, so uh, I was buying some stuff and, and for some milk and things for the series. I went down there to get some need, stuff we needed. And Dwayne came up and said, hi. And this one cashier, uh, a checker, there's Paul. And so I've known all the guys there for years. We lived here for a long time, shopped there. That's our main store we shop at and stuff. They're in Cameron Park. And so uh, Dwayne's going, oh, do you know Paul? I go, yeah, I know Paul. I said, I, I remember Paul, the first time Paul and I had a conversation. I was coming through the line. And he said, how are you doing today? And I said, man, I'm doing wonderful. I'm saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, on my way to heaven, having fun in the meantime. How are you doing? <laughs> and he goes, good, good. And then as I was getting ready to leave, the lady behind him came up, and she was just not having a good day or something. And so as I'm getting my girl, and I'm walking away, and Paul goes, hey, she's not going. So whatever he said to her, she went, ah, ah, ah. He goes, hey, she's not going. It was awesome. Amen. So anyway, but there's little things you can do. But see, just like that, in saying that, you just witnessed to somebody. He, he just told somebody about the Lord. And they know that. Just say, wait a minute, wait, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing great. I'm saved. I'm born, I'm born again. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm living a great life, having fun in the meantime. How are you doing? It's just a great line. What are they going to say? Now they have to come up with the response. I, 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 I dare you. I dare you, next time you're in a checkout line and, some, and say it loud so the people behind you can hear. Amen. No, never be ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Understand. And say it with joy. Say, say it like you believe you're really saved. Like you're excited about being filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're just testifying to somebody. How are you doing? You really want to know? Because people ask, but they really don't want to know. But once they ask, once somebody says, how are you doing? They've invited you to speak into their lives. And they say, Lord, give me somebody to witness to. They just asked, how are you doing? Do you really want to know? Let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Are you with me? And you'll be amazed what will happen. It could happen anywhere. So our heart is to be that witness for God. That's our responsibility. Give that account. Luke chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 4, look at verse 17. It says, But so that it spreads no further amongst the people, let us severely beat them from now on that they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We need to have that resolve as God's people. We need to be talking about the things of God. 
what he's done in your life. Be bold in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, know this. An experience will always prevail over an opinion. There are a lot of people, well, I just don't believe that's for today. I said, I really don't care what you believe. People said, I don't believe God heals today. I said, I don't care what you believe. i tell you one example of healing. And I tell people about sliding down a telephone pole, having third-degree burns on my arm, and being prayed for, being in the hospital, being in the hospital, on the gurney, being prepped to go in for skin graft. They unwrap my arms. They're getting ready to me to wheel me in to take skin off my butt or someplace and put it on my forearm to do a skin graph over these third degree burns on my bicep and on my forearm the doctor unwrapped my arm says we don't need to do the operation you have new skin growing on your arm I'm in the hospital and the doctor says you have new skin I have no scars on my forearm or my bicep they're just manly hallelujah (laughs) so anyway but I have no scars there are you with me and people say well I don't believe God heals today I don't care what you believe I slid down the pole I went down the pole. I hugged the pole. The pole hugged me back and burnt my arm. I was in the hospital ready for skin graft. They unwrapped my arm. Whether you believe it or not, God grew new skin on my arm. I have an experience. You have an opinion. The argument is over. Are you with me? So when you get that, people can declare their opinions about the Word of God and what He will and will not do today. But when someone experiences the power and provision of God's Word, opinions no longer matter. How many could say amen? We get that. Now think about it. The power to rule and to reign. For you and I, we have this power. So where is this power for? It's always for the set place. God's given man a set place of power. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says God created man and he set him in the garden. 1 Corinthians 1.28, it says that God has set in the church certain offices and positions. Your place, my place of power and authority is in the set place of God. God created man and he set him in the earth. Man is the set authority in the earth. Where do we have authority? We have authority in the earth. And we were, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God gave man authority to rule and to reign. To rule and to reign and to have dominion. And ruling, the word there, ruling, speaks of government. It means to rule, to govern, to give oversight, to have authority over, to have dominion. So we, our authority is in the set place and we are set in the earth by God. God's people, His children, you and I redeemed by God, are reset in our authority. Listen to what Jesus said. All power and authority is given unto me. Go ye therefore. Amen. So we have the commission of authority that we go. And so we have set authority in the garden man had it. We have set authority in the earth over all. And let me say that people don't get involved in. People say, well, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. We shouldn't be involved in politics, in divisional tactics and stuff. But we must be involved in governing. And our founding fathers knew that God's word and God's principles needed to be the standard that we govern people by. People that are to be governed by the principles of God's word. Politics makes a mess out of it. But the authority to govern righteously is upon the shoulder. How many know that that in Isaiah 9 it says of his government there shall be no end. Of the increase of his government... His rule, there will be no end. Are you with me? And so we have that set authority and we need to understand that. See, true authority will always flow in the set place. False or counterfeit authority always wants to operate outside of the set place. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Satan has no authority here because the earth is not his set place. How many know where, does anybody know where the devil's set place is? hell he has one set place and that's in hell that's his assignment and he knows he's going there the demon said have you come to torment us before our time we know we're going there's an assignment for it that's it it's already declared but in the meantime so the devil comes in not having any authority he comes to adam and eve in the garden in their set place of authority and gets them to relinquish their authority to him through a lie 
Are you with me? And so you and I, when we relinquish it, we give up our potency. We become impotent when we give up our set authority to the lie of the devil. He has no authority in God's house. He has no authority in the church. He has no authority in the earth. You are the set authority. Are you with me this evening? So think about it. We are empowered to break free from temptation. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. I know we're reading a lot of scripture tonight, but it's good. Amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? How many know knowledge is power? Do you not know? Knowledge and understanding. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. A new life. If we're born again, if we're saved, we should be walking in a new life. Not the old life. God doesn't sanctify the old. He does away with the old. Amen? We bury it. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. Everybody say, knowing this. That our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For we, (coughs) excuse me, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing, everybody say knowing. knowing. That word kind of keeps coming up, huh? Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has what? Dominion or rule or authority over him. We have the authority over it. Verse 10. For The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon. Everybody say reckon. Good southern word, reckon. Amen. Consider yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let. Now, let me say, how do you do not let? You do not let because you have the authority in Christ to resist. You have the authority given back to you. You're in the set place in God. And now you have the authority to rule. And so Paul is saying rule in the authority that you have. Rule, take rule, govern yourself over your sin. In your authority, in that power, exercise the authority that you have. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That word instruments there also means weapons. Weapons of righteousness. For sin, look at this, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And so we have this amazing authority in our lives, and we're empowered to break free from temptation. God's will for his people is to live free from temptation and not be overcome by its power. One of the things the devil uses against us, when we don't reign in this area and walk in the authority and the power that we have in God, then when we slip and we stumble in this area, then one of the think bombs he brings against you is that, oh, look, you're giving into that. How do you think you can be used by God? How are you going to witness to them? Sinner, 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 you know what you are. How many of you have heard that voice? God, the Holy Spirit stirring you and pushing you out. Just always know this. If the Holy Ghost is pushing you, go with Him. If you you feel the leading of God pushing you towards somebody, to witness, to minister to somebody, to step out in obedience to the Word of God, stay with that. Don't listen to all the other stuff. Amen. Are you with me? Okay. 
So that is what we need to understand. God's will for his people is to live free. The leading of the Holy Spirit will take us to the place where we can face the tempter, not be overcome. You face him, but you're not overcome by him. But we return victorious in Christ. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, those accounts are there where Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, faced the tempter and came back victorious. What do we have to do? These are some things you have to know. You have to know who the players are. Who are the players? You, the Holy Spirit, and the devil. Okay? Those are the players. Where are you? Stuck in the middle between the Holy Spirit and the devil. Stuck in the middle with you. Anyway, here we go. So what? You you and I are the ones in the middle of this battle. The Holy Spirit is there to empower you. The tempter is there to steal your purpose, destroy your relationship with God, and to kill you in the end. The devil's goal is to kill you. He comes to steal your purpose. He comes to destroy your relationship with God. And his ultimate goal is to take you into eternal death with him eternal separate his goal is to separate you from God for all of eternity and when I understand that but wait a minute God's given us the authority the power not to be we are not impotent we are not powerless against him we're breaking this off are you with me tonight break that lie why does God take us to a wilderness the Holy Spirit leads us into the wilderness for this purpose go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8 God does everything for a reason. Well, I don't understand. How come I can't just get it? I said Sunday morning, people, we as parents, we try to teach our children so they don't have to experience what we experience. Be wonderful if every child, man, I, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache if I'd have just listened. Amen. A lot of pain, a lot of heartache. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Watch this. Why? That you may live and multiply. Well, what do I want to obey? Well, you don't have to if you don't want to live and multiply. So obeying sounds pretty good when it's connected to living and multiplying. Those are good options. Amen. What's the benefit of obedience? Living and multiplying. Okay, sign me up. And go in and possess the land. What's the Lord swore to your father? Oh, so I get to live, I get to multiply and possess. Woohoo! You know, you'd think it'd be easy. We can just get this done. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. Why? Here you go. First of all, to humble you, to test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. See, God always proves us. I love you, Lord. Really? Okay. Verse 3. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. So you should know in your heart that as man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Chris preached a great message on the fear of the Lord. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land in whose stones are iron, and out of those hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, and then you bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you, beware you do not forget your God, by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you this day. See, a lot of people come to the Lord and get saved through hard times. 
And then when they start walking in the good times, life's so good, they don't have time for God. And so the Lord says, it hasn't changed. Man hasn't changed. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, and when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought you water, who brought water for you out of the rock of Flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So God gives us power to be kingdom builders. Amen? Not to get caught up in that in ourselves. So look at this. Why does God take us there? To humble us, to test us, to reveal to us what's in our heart. How many know God already knows what's in our heart? We just need to see it. To develop and to build obedience in our lives. But the last thing is to do us good in the end. How many know? I'm really glad God's out to do you good. God is on your side. Praise the Lord. See, the wilderness was not God's will for his people to live in. They were to trust him in that place as they made their way following his lead into the promise. That's why there was miracle provision, but no harvest in the wilderness. They never sowed and they never reaped a harvest. They lived by miracle provision. The provision was to get them through, to go through the experience and to know the, the delivering power of God in the relationship with God. So they get on the other side when they enter into the land where they're supposed to sow and reap. They're in right condition. Are you with me? So look at this side note. We get ready to close. Watch it. There are two ways to enter the wilderness. How do you end up in a wilderness? One is the trial of faith. The other is the fruit of disobedience. Joshua and Caleb got there through the trial of faith. They said, we're well able. Let's go take it. And now they had to wait 40 years. The rest of the nation of Israel got there through the fruit of disobedience. It will either be a walk of purpose or a wandering and a perishing. Joshua and Caleb walked through it in purpose. The rest of the nation of Israel wandered there and perished. It will produce power and victory, or it will end in death and destruction. I don't know. Out of all those, I choose number one out of all three of those. Amen? Stay away from the number twos. So lastly, Canaan is a land of promise and also a land of battle and warfare. But we are empowered to win the battles. How many could agree? We're empowered to win the battles. We were saved and delivered from our Egypt, our sin, through no power or effort of our own. How many know the nation of Israel didn't do anything to get delivered? God brought them out. His grace brought them out. His promise and His grace brought them out. You and I did nothing. His grace and His word and His promise for all men to be saved is what we step into. We didn't do anything. He delivered us. Amen? Well, think about that. God brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We were brought out whole, healed, and prosperous through no effort of our own. We, like they, are given a promise of a land and a life filled with his provision. Yet we must exercise our authority and dominion against the enemy who would fight and resist our advance. And what I'm saying to you tonight and encouraging you, walk in the life-producing power of the Holy Spirit. Become a sower of the word. The power to produce in our life is that God-ordained fruit be connected to our life. Each and every one of some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. But everybody has that purpose appointed to them. Jesus says, I called you and I appointed you that you would go forth and bear fruit, kingdom fruit, soul increase of lives being brought into the kingdom. The enemy fights against that. Our promised land is we are here. Heaven is our home and we're reaping that harvest. When Jesus talked about, he, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
Amen? That he would send forth laborers into the harvest field. When, when the woman at the well goes and tells the people of the city and they come out, the elders of the city who are coming out, are the elders wore white robes of that day. And so here comes the elders leading the procession. And Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes and look, for the fields are white and ripe unto harvest. And so here's this whole procession of white Samaritans, you know, people dressed in white coming. And he says, look, the harvest is white and ripened to harvest. It's ready. And, and you get to enter into the labors of somebody. And know this, every time you go out, every time you witness, there's somebody who was in that line before you. Somebody already spoke to that checker. Somebody already spoke to that service person. Somebody already spoke to that co-worker. Somebody, and, and, and they've been sowing and labor. And we get to enter into it. One plants, one waters, and one reaps the increase. Amen. God gives the increase. So just believe that's already happening. But just get involved in that process. And the power of God upon your life to be a person of increase. Remember, we are not impotent people. Without power to produce. God has openly declared to us all that is ours through Christ. It is now up to us to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and possess what is ours. Get yourself in those places sometimes. Try it sometime. Try God. Everything I got involved in that was wrong. Because somebody said, hey, try this. Amen. Okay, okay. <laughs> I stuck a needle in my arm and injected drug because a friend said, try this. How you been? And so I figured I was brave enough to stab myself with a needle and shoot foreign substance. I'm, I'll be brave enough to do anything for God. Just do anything. Think of all the stupid stuff you've tried. You know how to try. Try some God stuff. Try it. Try witnessing somebody. What's the worst thing could happen? Oh, I don't want to hear that. Okay, good. Try it on somebody else. Keep trying. Like those four, those four kids walking down the street. Three of them just went on, didn't come to night meeting. One kid stayed there and got saved. He received the Lord, came to the night meeting, got plugged in that church. You never know. God will use you. I've done that over the years all the time. But get yourself in a place. Put yourself in that environment where God can use you. Because part of what we do, we get frustrated because we don't feel, we have this great coming in, but nothing going out. And the greatest way to increase is start ministering, start giving this out, start sowing the sower, sows the word. Just sow the word to somebody. Ask God to give you your own creative thing. Don't use my personality, use your own. Amen. Well, you can borrow mine until you get your own. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So we're more than able to perform His will and to do His work in the earth. It's time to live by a different spirit than the world. Numbers 30, 13, verse 30. God said, Joshua and Caleb have a different spirit. They didn't have the spirit of the crowd. They had a different spirit. Eli, put some music on for me if you would, son. Bow your heads with me. Let's take a moment.